Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Before we open our Bibles this morning, I want us to open a songbook. And if you'll grab the red Praise for the Lord songbook, I think that's what it's called, Praise for the Lord songbook. If you've got one, I want you, I want you to note something in a song. Turn with me over to song 685. 685. If you can't, if you don't have one in front of you, uh, just pay attention and listen. Uh, in just a minute, we'll be opening the, the regular blue songbook and singing a song. Uh, but I want you to notice the difference in these songs. Uh, in this song, it's called The Lord is in His Holy Temple, song number 685. Uh, and it is based off of a passage of Scripture in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. Habakkuk's been arguing with God about God stepping in and bringing justice, and God says, well, of course I'm going to bring justice. This is how I'm going to do it. And Habakkuk argues back, no, no, that's the wrong way to do it. And so that kind of give and take with God, God basically puts Habakkuk in his place. And at the end of chapter 2, Habakkuk makes this statement, sort of as a, a response to God, putting him in his place. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. The, the writer of this song, William Kirkpatrick, back in the 1900s, uh, wanted to reflect the idea of silence in the song. And so you'll notice as you go through, I don't know, you know, some of you read music and some of you do not, but as you go through the song, here it says the Lord is in his holy temple, and then there's this little squiggly mark in the music. That is called a rest. And in this song, it is a quarter beat rest. You are supposed to stop singing and have a short break in sound before you continue singing. That is actually a deviation from the way the song originally went. And if you'll turn in your blue book to song number 55, we have this same song. The Lord is in his holy temple. So in the blue book, I want you to note, and we're going to sing it out of this blue book, because there is a, a way it is written in this book that does a better job of reflecting silence. In this book, instead of doing it with a rest, that little squiggly mark in the music, you'll notice that there is a thing called a fermata. It says the Lord is in his holy temple, and then there's this little, uh, little mark above the music that looks, people for short call it a bird's eye. It looks like a bird's eye there. That means... Hold this as long as the song leader says to hold it. And typically, if you look over at song 57, the song ends with one and it is over the note. And so you're supposed to hold that note. Oddly, in song 55, notice it's over nothing. And that's on purpose. The idea of the writer of this song was less exercise silence. 
The reason you don't see it in a lot of versions of this song today is because we as a people don't like silence. It makes us uncomfortable. I want to sing this song, and I want us to exercise silence. That, that I do want you to sing. I'm not saying don't sing. I don't want to sing by myself while you're silent. I want to sing the song together, but I want you to pay attention to, to, how, to just taking these breaks in the sound. Okay? like silence. The reason I'm talking about that this morning is because as I've been preaching sermons on prayer in this series of lessons we've been going through about being continually devoted uh, in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to the apostles teaching to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer and we've been spending some time talking about prayer, and I've been trying to do this from a uh, maybe a more unique perspective, hoping to pull things out of Scripture regarding prayer that we don't typically think about. One of the things that I've been thinking about is why is it that we have such a hard time with prayer? I've been doing these surveys, which, by the way, I just about forgot that I was supposed to have the young men hang out surveys. So let me take a break before I jump back into the sermon and do that. Uh, we handed one of these out Sunday evening last, uh, last week, I think, because I forgot to do it on Sunday morning. So that one is on fellowship. If you did not fill out a survey on fellowship, please raise your hand. And Con and Drake are going to hand those out. So y'all get up and hand to the people who have raised their hands. And then Gibson and... John David are going to hand out a new one for you that nobody has received. So they're going to hand it to everybody. So if your hand is up, get one from Con and Drake. Everybody get one from Gibson and John David. Y'all go ahead. So, and listen while you hand these things out because I don't want to pull y'all out of the sermon. So uh, here we go. Um, so I was thinking about what it is about prayer that at least for me makes me struggle. And I, I know because of these surveys that I'm not the only one who struggles with prayer in my life. Uh, that seems to be a, a much greater struggle among this church family than, say, Bible study. We tend to be pretty good at Bible study. At least that's the impression I'm getting 
from conversations with you and from how you feel about it yourself, we struggle with, with the concept of prayer. Why? And as I've thought about it, there's, there, can you get Meredith over there? She, her arm is going to get sore trying to hold it up, get somebody to come give her one of these slips of paper. I appreciate it, Con. So, uh, what we, we, we struggle with it, I think, because we are so uncomfortable with silence and inactivity. We are so used to, in our culture, being busy. And that's why I think oftentimes when you hear sermons about prayer, they tend to focus, and I, I, I can say this has been my focus over the years as I've talked about prayer, I'll talk about the practicality and the, the actions we should take about prayer. What are the things we should be praying about? When should be we be praying? How should we pray? And we'll focus in on the act activity of prayer. And I think we do ourselves a disservice. Because prayer isn't only about activities and how-tos, but it's about the heart behind prayer where you want to go and spend time with God. We talked in our Bible class this morning about Jesus having conflict with some of the Pharisees regarding doing some healings on the Sabbath day. That Sabbath day rule and law was all about having a time of inactivity. Having a time where, where you're not supposed to be busy, you're not supposed to be uh, distracted and focused on all these other things. You were to take a break so that you could focus on God. Why do you think it is that God had to command that to happen? Because we're not good with it. We're not good at it. We're not good at taking breaks from the daily activities of life and just focusing on God. But I'm becoming more and more convinced as I look through Scripture that that is exactly what we need to be doing. Not digging deeply into the Word of God. That's a good thing to do. We should do that. But we can't do that to the, to the neglect of just slowing down and stopping and meditating and being silent with God. We struggle with that. We struggle with that being our, our go-to activities. And I think because we struggle with that, we struggle to take time to pray outside of our regular activity of prayer. We're good as long as we schedule it in and we have our habits. You know, we, we pray every time before we eat. And if for whatever reason I'm distracted and I don't remember to say, all right, guys, let's pray, one of my kids jumps in with, are we going to pray? 
And we're used to that. That's our activity. That's our, our habit. And so we, we spend our time in prayer when we're gathered around the table. And probably many of us have a ha other habits like praying before we go to bed. Or we always try to stop and pray before we drive a long trip. We have these times where we know we're supposed to pray. It is our activity. You know when we're not good at praying? when it's just slowing down and spending time with God. We're not good with that. that that's not our, our regular practice. It's not something that we do. And, and with our current pace in life, the way that we do it, we just have this sense of having no time for that. We're good as long as we're busy. But to just stop, and take a sense of a Sabbath rest where we just slow down and focus on him, we, we struggle with that. Could you imagine if, if one of our elders got up here and instead of jumping straight into the announcements, they just stood here and stared at you for a while? They look to this side, and they look over here a little bit, look in the middle. That was one of the things that I, I've shared that with you before. One of my favorite memories and things about D. Bowman was when he would give chapel speeches. That's exactly what he would do at the Florida College. He would get up here and he'd lean forward on that podium. He would just look from side to side at all the people. I mean, it was almost like he looked at every face going down every single row where he would just focus in on the people. And what was funny is you could hear a pin drop in that auditorium because that kind of silence made people pay attention. Silence is important. It's valuable. And I, and I think I think we need to learn to slow down and focus on him. I, look at these passages with me. We're going to look at a series. I, I want to look at every single one of these very quickly. They're in order. should be pretty easy for you to turn to them all. But starting in Matthew chapter 14... I want you to just see how often it is that Jesus does the very thing we're talking about. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the town. You skip down to verse 23. After dismissing the crowd, he, he dealt with the crowd. After dismissing them, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Turn over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you look there at verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Mark 6, verse 31. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. 
for many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in a boat by themselves to a remote place. Right after this feeds to 5,000, then it says down in verse 46, after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Chapter 5, verse 16. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Skip over to chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 18. Chapter 9, verse 18. While he was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? Verse 28, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. You skip down to chapter 11, verse 1. When he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples came to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. John chapter 6, verse 15. John 6, verse 15, Therefore, when Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Is that enough to establish a pattern? Is that enough to at least make a precedence for the fact that Jesus was somebody who was, who was often willing to withdraw himself from the daily activity of life, even daily activity as important as his ministry, withdraw by himself, go to some deserted place as he often did, and just spend some time praying. Did we do that? Because I, I'll be honest, my, my practice is to fit it in in the middle of the hustle and bustle of life. That, that's how I pray. That, that's what seems to work on my schedule. But that's the problem. I spend too much time trying to pray on my schedule and not enough time just spending time with the Lord. And I think we do ourselves a great disservice by that. There is a value in withdrawal. Because it gives God a designated time where you are doing nothing but focusing on him. When's the last time you did that? I mean, I, I recognize there are seasons of life. But the problem is, I don't know that there's ever, for most of us, a season where this is easier. You know, I, I look at my poor wife with five children grabbing at her all day long. I need this. I need that. Where's this? Where's that? Right in front of your face. That's always the answer, right? You know, it, we, we, we don't, she, she's so torn and pulled. When's her designated time for God? When is it? Rarely. 
probably happen. And she's not the only one. We're probably all in that boat. And most of us are in that boat not because of the, the seasons of life or the circumstances of life, but because we don't make it our priority. Jesus was, again, every time I drop this thing, I already broke this thing once today, and now I'm breaking the thing again. Jesus, I mean, can any of us claim that our lives are busier and more important than Jesus's? Any of us? Your business more important than his ministry? Are your children more demanding of you than his disciples were? Are your responsibilities in life more important than his sermons and his debates and his arguments and his walk to the cross and all the other things that he did? You know, Jesus made time often for God because it was his priority. Do we? It gives you quiet that you need for focus. See, that's the problem with fitting prayer in on my schedule, is that and when I do that, I am still focused on my schedule. I'm not truly focused on God. I'm not truly focused on this is God's and I'm going to give God as much time as God wants. It's not about God. It's about me. It's about my schedule and it's about me fitting God in where he is conveniently fit. Shame on me. Shame on me for that. God deserves more than that. And the truth is, it's almost impossible to truly focus on God when you've got to squeeze him in in a three-minute break. Because you know what you spend half your time doing as you pray? Got to make sure I'm not late for the next thing. And so then God becomes a, 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 a God who has to function on your schedule instead of his. You know, honestly, the value of withdrawal is that it gives you space to breathe. And don't we all need that a little bit more? Couldn't we all use with a little more breathing room? One of the great values of the Sabbath day for the Israelites is that it was their day to breathe. It was their day not just to focus on God. Notice, God did not demand from them, this is your day of worship service. Because I'll be honest, I mean, I don't say this just as a preacher, we wear people out with worship service. We get people so busy and so on schedule, and we got to get all of this in, and we got to make sure we, 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 you know, get all of these tasks done and, and I'll be honest, I end the day on Sunday exhausted. Don't you? I mean, it is a tiring day. It is not a day of breathing. It's a day of activity. We need to make time to breathe. That's what the Sabbath day was. It, it wasn't just a command of come and worship. It was a day of rest. Rest. God values resting. 
Even Jesus took naps. He was sleeping in the boat. Remember that story? Even Jesus napped. My wife has a t-shirt with that on it. So, you know, got to be true. It's on a t-shirt. So it, it, it's one of those things that we need that time to just, just, to just stop and breathe and relax and rest and realize God is providing for us during those moments. That's really what the Sabbath was about. It was a time to stop and remember who is actually the provider and who is really in control. So take a break from your field, take a break from your sowing, take a break from your building, and take a break from your, from your crafting of, of whatever it is, and just rest and know and remember that God is the one who provided as a creator, and God is the one who provided protection and deliverance from Egypt. God is the one we should be focused on. So breathe long enough to do that. The value of withdrawal is that it gives attention to thoughts and needs. What I mean by this is, especially when you couple this idea of taking a break for, for prayer, if my prayer life consists of me stopping in the middle of a hustle and bustle life and focusing on God for a few moments, you know what I'm most likely to pray about? Only the most important thing or the thing I always pray about. I will pray out of, out of habit or I will pray out of desperation. That's it. That's all I have time for when I pray like that. But if I slow down long enough to have time to truly devote my thoughts and my heart to God for a period of time because I have stopped life for a bit, well then I can sit down and think about all the things and all the needs. And not just the most important, but maybe something a a brother said to me and I'm worried about him. And so I can sit there and think about it and pray about it. Or or a family situation or another family situation that that might not be something I deal with every single day, but somebody I love deals with that, and I can stop and think about it and pray about it. But it gives me the ability to give attention to not just what I'm desperate for or what I'm most habitually reminded of, but it gives me time to focus on all the things. And this, I think, is probably one of the most important aspects of withdrawal. Is that it gives you permission for silence. I don't know that you appreciate silence as much as I do now that I have five children. I remember when I was a a young preacher, I jumped in the car with my brother-in-law, who's like 12 years older than me. And we were riding down the street and he didn't like jump in and turn the radio on. Here I'm like 21, 22, I don't have kids yet. And I'm like, hey, you wanna listen to something? He goes, nope. Like, what do you mean? He goes, you'll understand one day. I do. He is a prophet. I understand the value of just having silence. It's wonderful. 
sometimes we just need silence. We need to be able to, like Habakkuk says, realize that God is the one on the throne, not us. We don't have to sit there and worry, and we don't have to fill up our day with bad news, when having that news channel blaring in the background like so many people do. We don't have to worry about all of the difficulties of life and sit there and fret and worry because the Lord is in his holy temple. And I don't have to argue with God about the way I think life should go, even though life doesn't seem to be going that way because the Lord is on his holy temple. And I don't have to sit there and, and, and prove myself and earn my way to heaven and, and, and make sure that God knows all about the good things I'm doing because he's on his throne. So let all the earth keep silent before him. There's value in silence and just feeling comfortable enough to be quiet. And in case that's not clear and my argument isn't good enough for you, let me turn you to a couple of passages of Scripture. One's over in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, which is the crossing of the Red Sea. The Egyptians are in pursuit from behind. It seems that uh, depending on where you believe they crossed the Red Sea, they're hemmed in on both sides by mountains, and they're kind of stuck but with the sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them, and there's nowhere for them to go. And then you have this, verse 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. I don't think that's so that Moses can concentrate. I think it's because he wanted them to understand if you'll just trust God, God will take care of all of this for you. You don't need to grumble and complain and worry and fret and scream out of terror. You don't need to worry about the, the difficulties of life. If God is fighting for you, there's no fight for you to have. Because God will do it. So we can, we can enjoy the value of silence if we're trusting in God. Psalm 46, Psalm 46, we have this scripture up in our, in our guest bathroom, which weirdly is the one I use more than any of the other ones, and so I read this scripture quite often, but I love it, I love it. Listen to these words. God is our refuge and strength, the helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we must not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. There is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage, kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. 
The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes roars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears into pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop fighting, or some versions say, be still and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. You know, the idea of silence, the idea of being still or being quiet is the idea of trusting that God is going to do what God says he's going to do and I just have to submit. I just have to be willing to trust. I just have to know he will do what he says he's going to do and that's enough for me. Psalm 37 verse 7. Psalm 37 and verse 7. Here we're told, Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way by the person who carries out evil plans. You can be quiet because God's taking care of it. You can be comforted by that. And silence displays that kind of comfort. Psalm 62 verse 5. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. He is our refuge. Isn't that great? When you, when you know that God is your hope, that God is your deliverer, that God is your, your saver, that God is the one who will take care of all the things for you, you can just be silent. You can be still. You can take that break. Psalm 131 and verse 2. Psalm 131 and verse 2. I'll start in verse 1. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great and too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. Most of y'all have seen the picture of an ch- infant resting on its mother's chest. Maybe right after eating, or, or maybe if, if you understand wean to mean done being fed, or if you understand wean to mean an older child, there, there's nothing more precious than seeing that young child just, just comfortable with mom. Right? That, that child doesn't need anything. It's got everything it needs as long as it's sitting there with mom. That should be us. That should be us. And I think the reason we struggle with that so much is because we're not willing to sit still with God. 
We are much more like that child who is wrestling to get out of mom's grip, who doesn't want to sit there still, doesn't want to be quiet, doesn't want to be comforted, wants its own way when it wants it, wants to do everything he wants to do and doesn't want to have anything to do with mom and dad. Y'all have seen that too, right? Which one of those would you rather be? There's value in just being still. I'll tell you, that, that to me is, I think, probably my personal biggest struggle when it comes to prayer. Is that it is hard for me to just stop and slow down and be still. It's hard for me to be quiet. but it's a lesson I think we all need to learn. That begins, for all of us, with becoming a child of God in the first place. Letting him wash away your sins, letting him quiet your spirit, letting him take away your guilt, letting him take away all of that turmoil and struggle that is inside of you and put within you a quiet spirit that just trusts in him. That's where it begins. And you can do that today by being baptized into Christ and having those sins washed away. I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, come to him and let him save you. For the rest of us, for those of us who do belong to God, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think probably every single one of us could come to these front pews today. Uh, and And just because this is kind of our American way. Be busy, be productive, do all the stuff. Miss no opportunities. But while we do that, we're missing the greatest opportunity, which is to just rest with the Savior. I encourage you, spend some time in quiet with God this week. Just rest comfortably with him. If you need the invitation to get your life right and become a child of God, we want you to come forward and let us know so that we can help you today. If you need that, please come forward as we stand and sing this. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.